0: Welcome, I'm Jessica Ward.
1: I'm Luca Lucarini and I'm Elon Levy.
0: And together we are your hosts for the health podcast series brought to you by Dentons. These sessions will cover various topics in the health, tech, life sciences and healthcare sectors and aims to provide you with small segments that you can listen to on the go.
1: You can find our episodes at dentons.com on our podcast page. There you can access our episodes, as well as a description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now, over to our podcast topics and speakers.
0: For today's episode, we are sitting down with Adam Silvertown, owner of Pace Pharmacy, and a specialist in the field of pharmacy compounding. Welcome, Adam.
1: Thanks for having me, Jessica. It's great to be here.
0: So to start our conversation off, um, as a pharmacy owner, can you describe the regulations governing your business?
1: Uh, yeah, so there's quite a few, it's, you know, I'm going to speak to the province of Ontario, because that's where I'm licensed as a pharmacist, and that's where my pharmacies are. So specifically in Ontario, in order to own a pharmacy, you have to be a pharmacist. There, are, there is a, a very rare exception to that, but for the most part, a pharmacist has to be the majority owner in a pharmacy. And so regulatory um, bodies, being the College of Pharmacists, the Ontario College of Pharmacists, are the regulatory body that oversees pharmacists and accredits pharmacies specifically. Um, and then obviously, there's other business rules that you have to operate under with, you know, when it comes to tax and employees and uh, workplace safety and all that type of stuff. But when it comes to the pharmacy specifically, there's the professional side, which means you have to be a pharmacist and then follow the rules of the college pharmacists.
0: So when you say that the uh, pharmacists have to own a pharmacy, are they is that only applicable to the pharmacy portion, or is the retail portion owned by other um, business owners or partners?
1: So that's a good question. I think there may be some situations where there are partners, but you know, some of the big box stores or the corporate chain stores that we all know and love, um, they're, they have very unique models. So in the context of things, places like Walmart or Costco or um, you know those guys they have a unique structure in place where the, um, I think there's a, what's called a pre-1954 charter, meaning anyone who owned a pharmacy before 1954 didn't have to be a pharmacist. There was a rule put in place after 1954 where you did have to be a pharmacist. So any corporations that were in effect at that point in time were kind of grandfathered in with what's called, you know what's known as a charter. Some of these larger pharmacies, uh, corporately owned pharmacies own a charter, which which allows them to own and operate pharmacies. Um, other places, maybe their board uh, of these large companies is made up mostly of pharmacists or has pharmacists on there that allows them to own and operate pharmacies. But in the context of other larger big box pharmacies like Shoppers Drug Mart, and Rexall, um, the the whole pharmacy, including the front store, is owned by the same entity, usually.
0: To go into your, your specialty, um, as a leader in pharmacy compounding, first, can you describe for us what that specialty entails?
1: Yeah, no problem. So pharmacy compounding is the art and science of mixing two or more ingredients to make a new product. Um, we all know about manufactured medications, which come in a bottle with a label, and they're made by big pharma companies, and they're sold in you know, on the shelf in the front of the store, and on the shelf behind the counter for many of the, the prescriptions that we, we all um, might be familiar with. In some cases, somebody may need a unique medication that is not commercially available. Maybe it's because they have an allergy, maybe it's because they can't swallow a medication, uh, maybe they are intolerant to a flavor or dye in a medication, or maybe just the dose is not appropriate for them. So in those cases, there is an opportunity for a pharmacist to customize the medication, whether it's taking the existing pills that are available, reformulating somehow, maybe crushing the tablets down, putting it into a liquid, or changing the dose and making a new capsule, um, or changing the dosage form entirely, meaning instead of it being orally taken, it might be applied topically uh, to the skin. So these are the situations where someone like a compounding pharmacist and, and the team of people who work at compounding pharmacies, can assist patients to get that personalized touch uh, because maybe it's just one person who needs that. And big pharma is not gonna invest any money in in commercializing a drug for one person. They want the masses. So someone like us, we work uh, with patients, we meet their unique needs, and we also work with doctors too, of course. A prescriber has to be part of this. We call it the triad. There's the the doctor, the patient, and the pharmacist. And we all work together to come up with a, um, a solution for that individual patient.
0: So with the products that are produced um, with compounding, how does uh, the regulatory landscape differ for those products? Is there any difference between products produced by, by Big, Big Pharma as opposed to um, the products that are produced through compounding for individual patients?
1: When it comes to the legal aspects of it, I mean, pharmacists have this. This is within our professional scope. We are legally allowed to compound medication. Um, with, with, I guess there's a little caveat there where we can't replicate a commercially available drug. So if a drug is made by big pharma, let's call it tablet X at 100 milligrams per tablet, we cannot compound the equivalent version of it. We can, and let's say that tablet is only available in a um, in a tablet form, but we can certainly compound it into a liquid form, and that would allow a patient who can't swallow pills to, a, a, you know, um, be compliant with taking that medication. Um, but when it comes to compounding, we are, um, as professionals, as pharmacists, we, it's under our scope of practice to abide by certain rules and regulations, with, specifically with regards to compounding. So there are a lot of rules about what you have to do in order to be allowed to compound at the pharmacy level when it comes to not only your, your facility, but also your equipment, your training, your standard operating procedures, your documentation, um, your quality control, quality assurance... Uh, so there are a lot of things that we do at the pharmacy level that is not seen by most people, but it's all, it all happens behind the scenes. And so it's, you know, I don't want to compare it to big pharma because big pharma has a very much more strict, um, you know, different set of guidelines that they have to abide by. Whereas we also do, but it's on a much smaller scale.
0: So as a profession, you're permitted to um under the stringent standards personalized medicine that might not otherwise be available to certain patients that that is of course needed.
1: Exactly exactly and that's you know, very common like I said it, a big demographic of uh, patients that we see would be kids you know pediatrics again I use the the pill to liquid com, um, example as it's very common and maybe um, you know banana flavor makes the kid, you know, is not tolerated by a child and maybe they only want cherry. So those are some examples where we can, we can alter the, the form or the flavor, um, and that's the, um, you know, how we work with uh, individual patients to meet their needs.
0: The, the use case there, of course, with, with children is, is obvious, right? So um, in, in what other ways can personalizing pharmaceuticals be of benefit to patients? Do you work with specific patient groups or is it more common um, among certain groups?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's quite a few actually. So, you know, kids is the one I used as an example. Um, another big group is, um, pets, animals. So, uh, veterinarians use quite a bit of compounded medication. And again, it's because maybe a, um, a special type of pet bird can't, you know, there's no commercially available medication for a, a fungal infection on a bird's beak, um, that is readily available. And that's a very specific example. Um, and so, a compounding pharmacy would be someone who could make that medication for that one and sole bird who is loved by a pet owner in downtown Toronto, for example. Um, And so that's another example. There's uh, pain medication. I used the example earlier of taking a, a, normally a medication that's swallowed and taken orally and putting it into a topical cream. So a lot of times a athlete or just you know, anyone with, with pains, aches, joint pains, muscle pain, chronic pain, neuropathic pain can get a cream that is compounded using some different combinations of pharmaceutical ingredients, anti inflammatories, um, you know, just you know, anesthetics, things like that. We can put into a topical cream so that someone can get pain relief at a, at their ankle, let's say, without having to have a medication be taken orally and have other side effects that may affect things like their stomach. Um, and liver and uh, other things like that. So there's there's that pain is probably a big one. And then another big area is hormone replacement therapy. Um, so this is a, you know, a lot of people may have heard about um, treatments for uh, women going through menopause, uh, topical progesterone and estrogen creams are very common and very popular. Uh, that is a, another good way for someone to take hormone therapy without having some of the additional side effects that may be uh, a risk for some people to take certain medications orally. Um, And it's, you know, it's a much more favorable way to take medication for some people too. So they choose that method over um, other alternatives, other options that may be available. Um, An interesting population that we work with quite a bit of is the trans population. Um, A lot of hormones that people take when they are transitioning uh, have to be compounded. Again, um, there's not a commercially available version of some of these types of medications. So we compound a lot of these medications for that patient population. Uh, It's very, um, you know, it's a hard medication to compound and not every pharmacy can do it. You know, we are a specialty pharmacy in sterile compounding as well as non-sterile. So non-sterile, I'll I'll take a little tangent for a moment. Non-sterile would be things like topical creams, oral suspensions. Those, you know, they don't have to be done in a clean room. Whereas a sterile medication would be something like an injection or an eye drop those are done in a special environment uh, by specially trained staff and a controlled environment where it's a clean room. Um, you know, we gown up, you know, head to toe and go into a clean room that is, um, you know, has several air changes per hour and has a very low particle count in the air. So that makes sure the air is very clean and safe for the products that we're making. So being a sterile compounding pharmacy, we're able to compound things like injectable hormones. And that's another uh, very specific patient population that we work with.
0: So there's a great number of important uses for these compounded medications. So looking ahead, where do you see personalized medicine as going in the future? Um, do you think it will be increasingly commonplace for pharmacists to practice compounding in accordance with the individualized health needs of their patients?
1: I may be a little bit biased, but I would like to see it increase for sure. And I do, I do certainly, I'm a firm believer in, in patient choice um, and, and just choice in general, people being able to choose what they think is best for them based on good information. And so if somebody says they wanna take a medication, but they want it kind of done a little bit differently than what is typically um, available, we, we can work with them to come up with a solution to meet their unique needs um, and their new, unique desires. It's their health, who am I to say to them, Here's a pill. You have to take it this way, and this is the only version. This is the only option we've got. We give people options where, within reason, where it is appropriate, and where it's where it's possible. And it's not always possible, but there's many cases where it is. And so that's where um, I see the future going. I see people, especially after coming out of this pandemic, it's been you know we've seen a big shift in people thinking about how they want to live their life, what they want to do, and their health has become a you know very um, their their personal mental health, physical health, has come to the forefront of society, it seems. And I think that people might be looking to pay a little bit more attention to the things they put inside their body or maybe how they, you know, how they feel. And so they might look at options that, might, that they think might be better for them, better suited for them and what they're trying to accomplish and their health goals. So I do see that increasing um, potentially for many people. And at, at another sidebar on the regulatory side There's been a pretty big shift in Ontario and it's happening across Canada as well, where compounding is being a little bit more closely regulated, meaning not every pharmacy is going to be able to continue um, compounding the way they had historically. So I talked about clean rooms and equipment and facilities, um, those types of things, the rules of surrounding what you have to have in place as a pharmacy in order to perform compounding. Is uh, they're becoming stricter, so not as many pharmacies that historically had been compounding are going to be able to compound moving forward. And we've already seen that shift. Um, I have already seen that shift, as you know, we get calls from pharmacies saying, "Oh, we would we used to do compounding and now we can't. Can you help out my patients?" And certainly, that's that's our area of specialty and our focus, and that's where we spend our energy, um, and that's what we love to do. And that's so we are we are getting calls like that from pharmacies, um, you know, if not daily, weekly.
0: So, and uh, to your point about how um, the pandemic has shifted people's attitudes towards their health and what they're putting in their bodies, this really makes sense to see going forward that particularly, as you noted, um, side effects may be lessened by putting medications in a different formulation. So that, of course, would be of great appeal to patients. And it's it's great to hear that. there's. It sounds like there's a lot of collaboration between pharmacies in terms of who compounds and who doesn't and getting uh, what patients need to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, it's, it's, it's been a nice shift for us. I think it's been a nice, you know, the way things are going and the way things have been, it's, it's, it's nice to see for sure.
0: Well, that was very interesting and thank you so much for your time and for speaking with us today. Uh, This was a very enjoyable conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you. The feeling's mutual. I really appreciate your time and the questions and it was very uh, thoughtful conversation. Thank you so much. Our speakers from this podcast episode or any other professional in our group would be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other topic related to our topic. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Dentons.com for legal notices.